Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. You turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, to chapter 5. We'll finish up chapter 5 and take the first three verses of chapter 6. And a message that we all need to hear, and that is grow up. Grow up. In a theologic sense, we call this the process of sanctification, which is simply understood as becoming more like Christ being more like a saint, being more like Jesus. Growing up in a Christian sense means that we no longer are needing a binky spiritually. You're no longer using a bottle. You're no longer needing pablum. You don't need baby food. You need real solid meat from God's word. The body of Christ is comprised of a lot of different types of growth patterns in people's lives. It would be greatly improved in its usefulness to the king if we would all grow up. For some of us, you're probably well along the way. For others, you probably need to spit out the binky and start looking into eating some solid food. It is so important that the writer of Hebrews now kind of takes a break from this thought process of trying to make sure that the Jewish people didn't go backwards, back to trying relying on the law. It's so important that the Holy Spirit stops him and said, make sure that you tell them why we're doing this. We need to become spiritually mature. And when you do, you're going to find that you start to look at life from a mature perspective. So would you join me in prayer? We'll pick up here in verse 11 of Hebrews 5, and we're going to take the first three verses of chapter 6 as well. Father, thank you that you don't leave us as babies. You cause us to grow up and mature, and you help us, Lord, when we come across things in our walks with you that need a tune-up. And so, Lord, I pray for those that are doing well, and I pray for those that are not. I pray for myself, Lord, that I would never perceive that I've arrived, that I'm fully there yet, that I would continue to grow throughout my life as long as I'm here on this planet. We, as long as we're here on this planet, would continue to grow and mature. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. He starts by saying, of whom we have much to say. And hard to explain, and here it is, since you have become dull of hearing. So speaking back to this issue of the high priest, that much to say we'll pick up back in chapter 7. But for the time being, the Holy Spirit sticks a parenthesis and inserts this instruction. Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. Would you please underline that? 
That's for everyone. Now, that doesn't mean that all of you are going to become pastors. doesn't mean that all of you will have full-time vocational ministry, but it does mean that all of you should at some point in time not need to be taught, but be teachers yourselves. Might be in your home, might be in your workplace. Could be that God's calling you into vocational ministry to be a full-time servant of the Lord Most High in a role of teaching, but all of us should be maturing in such a way that we no longer need to be taught like babies. When your children grow up, one of the things that you learn as a parent is they go through stages of life, amen? You do not expect your babies to have a grasp of algebra. You do not expect your babies to be able to initially ride bicycles or you know, do something very complex or to understand complex sentences or even speak in a way that isn't indicative of them being a child. We're not talking about you know, young believers here. We're talking about mature believers that should be already grown up. They've been sitting in church a long time. They've heard hundreds of messages. It is stunning to me sometimes. When I talk to people, they'll look me right in the eyes. Yeah, I've been going to church for 30 years. And they are still lost on the basic principles of the faith. They're still clinging to, you know, oh, grace, man, grace, man, grace, man. The New Testament by itself contains over 1,000 things that you can say the Holy Spirit instructed you in. What you ought to be, how you ought to act, things that you should have in grasp as a mature believer. That's just the 27 books of the New Testament. And yet people still struggle. Well, should I do this? Should I do that? When the Bible plainly says which direction you should go. And so the writer of Hebrews picks up on this theme because for these Jewish believers, they were going backwards. They were backsliding. They, they weren't walking in grace and the power of God's word. They were starting to walk back towards the law which means they're immature. The law is for the immature. It's not for the mature. That's why Paul would write that the law is actually a tutor. It's a schoolmaster unto Christ. It helps you get to the relationship with Jesus, but the law can't make you into what you need to be in Christ. That is a work of the Spirit that comes through grace and faith. But once it happens... You ought to keep growing into the image of Jesus. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. What a slap. And again, I'm not trying to beat anybody up here, but maybe someone here today needs to hear this. Maybe you're watching online, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of only milk is unskilled, notice in what? In the word of righteousness. The Bible is instructive about how we ought to live. And that living is in righteousness. It will affect every aspect of your life. It's going to affect how you work. It's going to affect how you recreate. It's going to affect how you vote. It is going to affect every area of your life. 
Jesus is not constrained to just saving you. He has redeemed you, and he's redeemed you unto good works and maturity. So we begin here with salvation, but we're supposed to end over here at glorification. Every believer should be a mature believer. Nobody should stay a baby in Christ. You weren't redeemed for that. You were redeemed to glorify the Lord. That's what you've been called to do now that you're saved. The word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Now, it's also true that you don't set your six-month-old down in a high chair and chop up a ribeye. Why? They're going to choke on it, right? They don't know to chew it. They don't have any idea what to do with it. It's the wrong food for the wrong person. So there is a time that we are babes in Christ. We're new and walking in the grace of God. And milk is the right food for that person. The person who's just come to faith in Christ needs the milk of the word. But the person who's walked with the Lord for 10 years should not be on a bottle. That person should be mature in their faith. And the way you see it is in the level of righteousness that exists in their life. What does it affect? Where does it go? How does it change us? Are we truly being transformed by the renewing of our minds? Or do we still need to be told, Jesus loves me, this I know. Great truth, right? What's the rest of it? For the Bible tells me so. What does the Bible tell you? It doesn't just tell you that you're saved by grace through faith. It tells you that you ought to be walking in that grace. You ought to be living a redeemed life. You ought to be fleeing sin. You know there are over 75 things in the New Testament that begin with, you should be this? There are over 30 things that say you should not be this. And I guarantee you there are very few people in this room that can name half of either. And I'm not saying that to shame anyone. Our Bible is very instructive of how we ought to live. The question is, are we growing? Are we actually learning? That's why we're here today, by the way. It's one of the functions of church, is to be taught those things so that we know what they are. But then you take hold of them and you live them. Hopefully, if you've been to college, you didn't go to college just to get your head stuffed with knowledge. Prayerfully, you went to college to learn a subject matter in such a way that you can make a living with it later. Amen? So the growing doesn't stop in college. That's just knowledge. The growing actually starts when you actually go get a job in what you studied in college. The same is true with your spiritual life. You got saved, you learned some basic truths, some things to get you started along the way, but until you begin to experience what it's like to be a believer in an upside-down world, your growth pattern is fairly shallow. The writer of Hebrews addresses this. And those who by reason of use have their senses exercised, here it is, to discern both good and and evil. You know which is which. 
As we break this passage down, we take this break from the subject matter of the high priest, and in essence, we shift to, let's grow up. Let's be mature. Let's not go backwards. Let's have our lives begin to be what we're supposed to be as believers. And notice, very little is said about what that is. But there's a couple of words that you ought to be able to lay hold of very quickly. Righteousness is us comparing our character to the character of God himself. If something is truly righteous, then it takes upon it the character of God himself. So that's a pretty big, broad thing, isn't it? In order for me to be righteous in a relationship, I need to act and be the way God wants me to be. To be righteous in the workplace, I need to act and be the way God wants me to be. To be righteous in my studies, I need to study the way God would want me to be. Righteousness is my vertical relationship with the Lord. Notice the second thing, good and evil. There is a right and a wrong way to do almost everything with relation to righteousness. There is a right way and a wrong way to do virtually everything as it relates to, as you would view it from, God's position. That's why when people debate with me things like abortion, no, it's absolutely contrary to God's way. It is wrong, period. It's not okay, ever. Why? Because it takes the life of an innocent child. The Bible says God hates that. So I don't have to debate with you whether it's right or wrong in God's eyes. You can give me all kinds of excuses about why you think it's acceptable in this circumstance. But from God's perspective, the righteous way is never the death of an innocent person. Amen? So I don't have to debate that. When you come to me and say, well, I like to go to these parties, and yeah, occasionally I have few, too many beers. I don't need to debate this with you. The Bible says you are not to be drunk, ever. I don't have to worry about it. You see, the righteous position as it relates to good and evil is actually easy to discern. The question is, as a mature believer, will I go there? And this is where we need to grow. Because it's not that the Bible is silent, it's we don't like what it says. You see, because if I take my relationship with this person I'm not married to, and I take the intimacy to a place that there might be a child born, then maybe that abortion becomes, I don't want a baby. Or maybe that going to the party becomes, I don't really know how to make friends, so I'm going to bury my personality in a bottle. And yes, I'm probably afflicting people right now. But we need to hear the truth, church. Amen? See, we can dance around this stuff all day long. We can go, well, I don't really know. No, you actually do know. As a believer, you are told what is good and what is evil. And so we have to look at that and go, if I'm really mature in the Lord, I have God's opinion about things. I don't debate with God. I don't say, well, you know, God, I think you were wrong when you wrote that. I agree with him. You see, that's the danger of dwelling in diaper land. I need to lighten this up somehow. 
You see, what happens is generally when you dwell in that place of immaturity, it's because primarily we get lazy. It's easier to be immature, isn't it? It's very hard to be an adult. If you're an adult, say amen. It is. It's hard to be an adult. Wasn't it easy to be a kid? Why? You had no responsibility for anything. Something went bad, your mom and dad cleared it up. But when you become a full age, it's on you, isn't it? The same is true spiritually. When you don't have any maturity, God gives you that grace in the moment for what you know. But once you know it, it's on you. And so a lot of Christians try and stay immature because then they go, well, I don't, I don't know that. I've actually had people tell me, don't tell me what the Bible says. They don't want to hear it because they know if they hear it, they have responsibility for it. We can't dwell there. It is mind-boggling. I have talked to people who walk with the Lord for decades that still need to be discipled. They go, well, will you be my accountability partner? I look right in the eyes and I say, no. You should be teaching others. You should not need me to try and keep you on track after walking with the Lord for 20 years. Your problem is not that I'm not helping you. Your problem is you're not helping yourself. The problem is you need to walk in righteousness. Not me walk in righteousness and show you how to do it. You need to walk in righteousness. You need to flee sin. If you weren't with us on Thursday night, go online, watch that study. The whole study on Thursday night is about temptation in the Christian and how to avoid it. You see, part of the problem that we have in the church is this. Spiritually, I can actually keep drinking milk my entire walk with the Lord. I can never get out of grace and mercy and forgiveness. I can just kind of hang around in these basic elements of the gospel. And I never grow. I never let it touch my bitterness, my anger. My attitude. You see, when I tell you that there are over a thousand things in the New Testament that you're supposed to be and or do, not only am I being truthful with you, you're going to find some things you're not going to like in there. How much gossiping is the church supposed to do? Absolutely none. How much slander is the church supposed to be engaged in? Absolutely none. How much backbiting is supposed to happen in the church? Absolutely none. Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, mature believers actually take what the word of God says and they go do it. They're doers of the word. Babies go, grace, man. They're stuck. Mature believers go, I don't need grace right now. I need a whooping because I'm gossiping. Matter of fact, I actually expect God to spank me when I'm out of line. Because if he doesn't chasten you, he just doesn't love you. You might not even be his. But the Bible says, ouch, huh? Ouch, huh? See, I know my dad loves me because my dad beat me. 
No, seriously, think about it. Parent doesn't love you, let you do whatever. They don't care. Just go out on your own. No, well, so what? But when you get some guidelines, get some boundaries, you know your parents love you. You may not like the way they love you, but that's a sign they love you. Commitment to our growth in Christ will move you out of your spiritual onesie, okay? You're not going to be walking around just like, you know, you really ought to get another size onesie there. You kind of look silly in that. You're six foot tall. Babies are abysmal teachers, aren't they? If you want to learn anything, do you go to a two-year-old? Not, not if you have any brain cells that are operating. No, you want somebody that's mature, that's been there, that's done that, that's lived through those circumstances and situations. Spiritual growth is no different. We shouldn't be in need of discipling when we should be discipling others. You want to go to mature people for that. You see, when you go to college the first day, if you showed up and your professor was standing there in diapers, you'd think something's wrong, right? You man, this is, this is not good. You see, the Jewish believers in our book that we're studying right now had the basic gospel. They'd been baptized. They probably tithed. There were some things that they were doing. In other words, they had religion in that sense, but what they didn't have was a relationship that actually affected the way they lived. The Greek word that's used here in verse 14 for trained is exactly the same training that an Olympic athlete would go through. I don't know if you've been tracking with the Olympics at all, but when you listen to the stories of what people go through, to get to the Olympic Games, to compete in something like fencing. You know, it's not like everybody, the fencing finals, yay! Very few people even know that fencing's in the Olympics. But even an Olympic fencer has studied and practiced for years and years and years for a three-minute round of fencing. How many Christians can say that they've practiced what they know about the Lord to the extent that they are Olympic Christians? They're Olympians in the things of God. Challenge, isn't it? It is for me. Maybe it's not for you, but it is for me. You know, because sometimes we want to practice other things. Like being carnal, fleshly. Self-seeking, self-absorbed, just put self in front of anything, and that's kind of what we like to practice a lot of times, isn't it? And so we need to look to people who are able to train and able to teach. What was the problem that they were facing? Back in chapter 2, we were told what it was. Initially, they were in danger of drifting away. You see, if you don't practice, you forget what you have already learned. Amen? 
Doesn't matter what discipline of schooling that you apply this principle to, if you do not use what you have learned, you will lose it. It's use it or lose it. Amen? Mathematics, very high on that list. English, very high on that list. If you don't use proper grammar, if you don't use proper sentence structure, if you don't use proper punctuation, if you don't use the mathematics that you've learned, then you will forget it and you will go backwards and you're going to have to relearn that principle. It comes through using it so that you don't lose it. The same is true with your spiritual walk. Use it or lose it. You begin to go backwards. So if I don't use my righteousness, if I don't use my knowledge of good and evil, if I revert back to the way I was before I got saved in my thinking, I go backwards. We don't want that in our lives. Our lives as believers should be a constant upwards to heaven. I should be more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. And every day that follows, the same should be true. There should be some area of life that you have been affected because of the word of God that is now dwelling in you richly, has changed something in your life so that you have morphed into more like Jesus than you were yesterday. That's not happening. You should ask why. Because at the very best, you've become stagnant. At the very worst, you might be going backwards. You might be drifting away. Truth is, we need to get out of kindergarten. Notice how it begins in chapter 6. And remember, the chapters and verse designations were not in the original letter, so this is one of those areas where the thought is carried over into what we call chapter 6. And therefore, the therefore refers to what's in chapter 5 at the end of it. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. And I'm using the NIV here for sake of understanding it in a modern context. Leave the elementary teachings. What are those? It doesn't mean that you don't believe those teachings. It doesn't mean that you're not saved by grace through faith. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't get baptized. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't pray. It doesn't mean that you should be doing good. It means that you need to leave those things. Those things should become innate. They should be who you are automatically. You shouldn't even have to think about them. There are things that I know in the construction trades that I will die knowing even though I haven't used them because they're innate, they're within me. I can look at a set of plans to this day and go through stuff and go, that's what that means, that's what this means. It's like it's there, it's stuck. It just comes from, I've lived there in that particular realm for so long, even as a pastor of 30 years, I can still look at that stuff and go, "Hmm, well, I know what's going on right there. The same should be true for you and your walk with the Lord. You're not going to leave the elementary principles. Look, you're a child of God because you have believed on the only begotten Son. Amen? You're not saved some other way. It's not now works plus that. But those are elementary things. I shouldn't have to be reinstilling the elementary things in people that have walked with the Lord for their whole life. I shouldn't have to tell you some of those things. They should be so ingrained within you that those elementary teachings that you got when you first got saved are just there. They're part of who you are. So the maturity is the other things, the subtleties. In other words, you're moving away from 
salvation by grace and mercy and those types of things, and you're digging into the stuff that's tougher. Why should we be concerned with that? Because if you don't, you are perpetually going to stay an infant. When you hover around elementary things, you don't grow. That's why when you're in school, who do you want as your study partners? You want the brightest people in the class. Amen? You're not looking for the person who's flunking out. You're looking for the person who's got A++. Matter of fact, it's so easy for them that they kind of think it already. And you want to be around that person. There are stages to our growth. And throughout time, you can kind of see these things. But when you're an infant, here's what initially happens. You do good basically to add pleasure to your life or avoid pain. That's kind of that infantile understanding of things. It's like you cry because you want that food. Or or you stop doing what you're doing so you don't get a spanking. That's very elementary. The next stage really is you do good to kind of... Establish some type of rapport with other people. So rules and regulations, you kind of follow with them, primarily because it's sociologically to your benefit. In other words, other people look at it, that's what they do, so you do it too. That's kind of what religion does. But when you're really mature, when you've really grown up, you actually do good as an expression of who you are internally. You live the way you live because that's who you are. That's spiritual maturity. We live the way we live because that's who we are as believers. That's what growth is. I flee ungodliness because that's who I am. I don't need somebody to tell me that all these things that the world is throwing at me are wrong. I don't need to entertain them. I don't need to justify them. I don't need to look at them and go, well, you know, I don't really know about that one. I can't even tell you how many Christians have come to me and they've gone, you know, well, is it, is it wrong for me to smoke dope? It's legal now. And, and I sit there and I'm like, what don't you get about not having a debased mind? What don't you get about the dissipation of your thought process? What don't you get about be ye not drunk? Just because it happens to be drunk from a different substance doesn't mean that your brain's not twisted. You see, that's maturity. The mature person goes, I'm just trying to not get involved in anything that isn't like Jesus. The immature person goes, well, I don't know that the Bible actually tells me that I can't shoot up. Well, is it really fornication if you actually, you know, if you've gone on three dates? And yes, that's my look that that's real. That's a story. That's a thing. Why? Because you see, the mature person goes, it doesn't matter if the Bible says it's fornication. It's fornication, period. There isn't good fornication and bad fornication. There's just fornication, and it's all wrong. Everybody's going, yeah, I hate it. 
I'm never coming back. He keeps telling me the truth. No, I'm trying to set people free. It's like you don't need to debate what God has already said. You can trust him. His character's never changed. What he said he means. We need to get out of kindergarten. Immature believers hang around looking for a reason that they can finally say, well, you know, I'm okay. God's going God's to let me go on this one. You see, if I'm truly grace-oriented, I'm going to obey God because I know he loves me. It's like, God, you love me so much that Jesus came to this world and died that horrible death. And if you tell me I should be one way versus another way, it's got to be because you love me. Not because you're trying to kill my fun. Not because you don't love me. You actually love me. That's why you're telling me that. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And you've told me which way to go. And I'm going to go that way because you love me. You proved that at the cross. That's maturity. That's, that's somebody who's out of kindergarten. Fact of the matter is, the ABCs are good. You need to have those, right? When you're a child, you begin with the ABCs. Sometimes you only get part of it. You've had that experience of raising children. You know, you're sitting there, it's like, ah, oh, we made it to, you know, we got the H today. That's all good. And then finally you get all the letters. And then there are simple words and then simpler sentences and then punctuation and then context and then syntax. You see, growth also equals Complexity. The more complex the situation is, the more growth is going to be in view. And so when you get into a simple situation, it ought to be simple what you do. But the more mature you are, when you get into more complex situations, that's where your maturity in Christ shows up. Those arguments, those discussions you have with people about some of the things going on in our world, they're actually a whole lot easier when you're mature. Because the Bible actually helps solve those subtleties. It's like, no. I'm not moving because the basic thought process, the basic context here actually is this thing. And you're trying to get my eyes off of what it actually is and confuse the situation by adding some ethereal thought process to it. You go back to the basic thing. Those ABCs will always be with you. We're told what they are. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. The wages of sin is death. Amen? So every single thing in the Bible that is said to be sin, that's all those things. Like you don't need to go there. Once you know that it's sin, it's sin. It's always going to be sin. It was never not sin. It's always sin. And a faith in God. Instruction about baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. And God permitting, so we will do. And so the ABCs are good. You need to know that Jesus loves you. You need to know that he is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by him. But as a believer of 10 years, you shouldn't be going, well, I, I think I'm saved. If you didn't settle that when you gave your life to Jesus, there's a problem. 
If that keeps coming up, there's a problem. Those are ABC things. You were baptized. You don't need to be baptized 40 times. I'd be like, well, if you want to get baptized twice, when we go to Israel, get baptized in the Jordan River, it's an experience. It's something wonderful. You can identify with the Lord. You can identify with John's baptism. You can do all these wonderful things. Fine. But baptism doesn't save you. Never did, never can. It's an external sign that you're already saved and you're identifying with the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's all it is. It's important, but it's important the time you do it the first time. Laying on, I can't tell you how he was, well, you know, I don't know if I should go and have the elders pray for me. What do you mean you don't know? If any be sick among you, go to the elders of the church and have them lay hands and pray for you and anoint you with oil that the effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's an elementary thing. If you're sick, find a believer, someone that loves the Lord, have them pray for you, please. But you shouldn't be wondering whether it works or not. The effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man, woman, avails much. Prayer works, in other words. We shouldn't be going, well, I don't know if prayer works. You've been saved for 10 years. Well, I kind of sort of started praying last week. Think about it. But I'm sure you all know people that that's where they are. It's like they, they got saved, they made a profession of faith, and they're still stuck in the ABCs. The ABCs are not just good, they're actually essential, but you shouldn't be stuck in the ABCs of your Christian existence. You should be growing. To that end and to close, to draw this thought process to its conclusion. Every verse in the Bible leads up to, points to, heads towards mature faith growing up. You can see that in the life of every Old Testament saint. A lot of it's by seeing failure in those Old Testament saints, isn't it? Where they didn't grow. It's the negative example. It's like they should have been someplace, but they never got there. You would think that Moses would have learned all that he needed to know. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, you would have, think, you would have thought there at the end that he wouldn't stumble. These are areas of maturity for us. It's like we should keep maturing until we go home to be with Jesus. If you're mature, you're going to have a sense of becoming and not arriving. Understand what I'm saying. You're becoming more like Jesus, but you have not become completely like Jesus yet. Do you understand the difference? You see, my life in Christ, I should always be becoming like Jesus. Every moment of every day, there's some area of my life where I can say, Lord, that needs to be more like you. I will never get there as long as I'm here. But I should be trying to get there every moment of every day. I haven't arrived yet. I'm pressing on. I'm letting those things which I could get stuck on be behind. I forget what is past. 
And I reach forward to those things which are in my life that God wants for in the future. I'm pressing towards a heavenly call in Christ Jesus. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote there in Philippians 3. I have a sense of wonder. Anybody in here still absolutely in wonder and awe of the Lord? Amen? I am. We should never lose that. I shouldn't wake up in the morning and go, well, you know, it's just God. You know, it's just the almighty sovereign of the universe, you know, well. No, I should have wonder, amazement. I know exactly how difficult the questions are, and I know exactly how hard those answers are to come by at times. That's why I'm in awe and wonder of God. He has an answer every single time I come to him. I may not always understand it even, but he's speaking. So I'm in awe. I'm in wonder of God. That's a mature believer. I am still in awe and wonder of God. I have a sense of commitment. I can't not serve the Lord. A lot of Christians wander around, well, you know, I do that on Sunday. In that sense, there's very little commitment in their life to the things of God. That's an immature believer. That's basically spiritual lethargy. That's just sitting around going, well, you know, okay, well, you know. Got to go do my duty. Got to go to church. Look, the world needs the peace of God that surpasses our own human understanding, that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen? The world needs that. And you have that. How you could keep that inside of you and go, well, I've got it. I don't know about you. Man, we got to get that out. That, that's not something you sit around and go, oh, you know, well, bummer on you. Man, we have the truth, and the truth sets people free. How can we hang on to the truth and not help set people free? Church. That's commitment. Nobody wants to have employees that show up just so they can get a paycheck. And God doesn't want believers that show up so they'll get saved. He wants us committed to the mission. It's all for him. 100% of our life is now for him as a believer. You want to affect the world that we live in? You want to affect politics and social justice and all these things that we rightly should be engaged in trying to change? Then be the strongest Christian you can possibly be in every one of those arenas. That will affect the right kind of change. You take Jesus into that situation. Because the world doesn't need you. It needs Jesus. Amen? Amen? Everything that you are and all that you have, that's what we're supposed to be doing with it. That's what mature believers do. That will grow in you a sense of service. You'll want to be useful to the king and for the kingdom. You'll have a desire to be used of God. It's what happens with maturity. It's like, Lord, 
You've been so good to me. Let me be good for you in this world. Jesus actually said, Mark 10, the end of it, He who desires among you to be great, become the servant of all. That's a mature person. An immature person wants to be served. That's what the disciples were doing, right? They're going, well, let me sit on the right, let me sit on the left, and I'm going to be in your kingdom. So much so that their mama got involved. You don't want your mama coming to Jesus for you, okay? You go yourself and say, you know, let me be a servant. Better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Think about it. Every bit of what we see in the life of Jesus pointed to the cross, didn't it? Death. Not for himself, for us. And we should do the same. It's really time for us to grow up in that sense. Some of us have more growing to do than others, and some of us are more along that road of growth than others. And so help one another. Encourage one another. Strengthen one another. Lift up each other's hands. Be an encouragement to the person who's still in the ABCs. But find a place that God can use you and get busy being a grown-up for Jesus. Amen? Would you stand with me and we'll pray. If you need to pray about something specific in your life, I want to encourage you after service, just go to the prayer room and say, hey, I've been struggling with this area of life and it's kind of kept me in a place of immaturity. Would you pray with me? That's what mature believers do. They're unashamed to admit that they have problems. For the rest of us, let's go find a place to be busy about our Father's business and get busy. Father, thank you for the maturity that you've allowed us to have. And God, we pray that we use the maturity that we have for your kingdom, for your plans and purposes, for the things of life that are actually truly meaningful. And Lord, I want to pray, we pray together for those that maybe right now, maybe they're watching online or they're here, and uh, they've been saved for a while, but they really are stuck. God, would you set them free? Would you show them? which direction they need to turn and what needs to go and what needs to come into their life so that they can continue this pattern of growth, become more like you. Lord, for those that are struggling with some area of sin that's kept them as a child, God, would you release them from that bondage as they repent of that sin? You were faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse them. Father, we thank you for that. So help us to mature by being people that treat sin the way you do. You hate it. And so, Lord, help us to hate sin and help us to love righteousness. God, we thank you for your goodness to us, and we pray that you would bless us and anoint us and use us for your glory. Help us to serve as you have served us. Help us to be grown-ups. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.